Enjoy the show. Beaming at you from the depths of the internet. This is the Temple of Geek Podcast, your one stop for all things geek. All things geek. Welcome to the Temple of Geek Podcast. My name is Monica, and I will be your host today as we talk about Red, White, and Who, the history of Doctor Who in America. With me today is Steve Hill, author of Red, White, and Who. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Monica. Thank you. I'm really excited to have you on. Before we get into the book, can you please tell our listeners a little bit about you? Uh, sure. I could get the boring stuff out of the way first. My day job uh, is as a engineer designer of low voltage systems, mainly for airports and aviation facilities. Um, that doesn't sound boring. That sounds awesome. <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's interesting sometimes. Uh, I've worked on some of the hangars that house um, American uh, unmanned aircraft, which is kind of interesting. That's um, cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, apart from that, I have lots of lots of hobbies. And uh, many of my hobbies seem to revolve around Doctor Who. Um, and uh, just for the basics, I'm 52. Um, I'm married with no kids. And I live in Chicago. I'm sure Chicago's nice right now. It's been, well, the temperature is plummeting at the moment, I think. <laughs> but uh, it's been, it's been uh, rainy and alternating between uh, very, very nice temperature and uh, rain. Oh, nice. Okay, so getting into the book, uh, what exactly is Red, White, and Who? Red, White, and Who, which is subtitled uh, The Story of Doctor Who in America, is the story of Doctor Who in America. And to be more specific, we tried to cover everything and anything that relates to Doctor Who that comes from the United States of America that originates in or in some way is tied to the USA. Uh, we Early on, we decided not to include Canada in our scope. So when we say America, we mean USA, not North America. Um, and the book, it is a book, and the book is, um, uh, well, let me, let me uh, see what exact page count is, 704 pages. Yeah, it's a hefty book. <laughs> and... Um, it uh, it does. It starts at 1963 and goes right up until um, basically last summer, summer of 2017, uh, which is yeah. Right as I was getting into it, I was really excited to see that it um, it basically ends at Capaldi's last episode. Yes, I think uh, we even I, I can't remember if we got so far as to mention Jodie Whittaker in the book or not. Um, I don't think so. Uh, I know there is some mention of like, you know, um, Bruce Campbell's, uh, his prank, his, uh, oh, his right, April yeah. Fool's Day joke right. where he reveals himself as the next doctor. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a cool one. We had, we had to include that one. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And it seems like your book really encompasses everything. Like, um, you know, it had a lot of the, uh, you know, actual just factual like this is what happened and also a lot of subjective stuff you know narratives and things like that so um it was really exciting to to go through it um you know for um 
I guess, obviously, this is a book that Whovians will enjoy. Um, what kind of uh, target audience do you think will love this book? When we sat down to uh, write this book, we wanted to make sure that it could be enjoyed and appreciated by a global audience. We didn't, we knew we were writing about American things, but we didn't want it to be um, read by only Americans. We especially wanted it to be read by UK Doctor Who fans or, or just fans of television or uh, uh, geek properties in general, you know, because, because we get really heavily detailed into fandom uh, understandably so in the book. And it really, a lot of the things here apply to any fandom, not just Dr. Who, I mean, obviously the book is specific to Dr. Who, but, um, cosplay applies to many things and, and fanzines and fanfic. And it applies to virtually any, any, uh, fandom that you could think of. Um, and I'm not really sure if there's any similar, book out there for another fandom so i'm proud of that too no and you should be one of the things that i i noticed right away was that um it uh, you know as i'm reading through it even if i am not a fan of doctor who it's um very relatable as far as like looking at it like almost like a social experiment like mm, how yeah. did these mm -hmm. fans and how did these people keep this fandom alive for so long how did it go from a cult you know kind of fandom into something so much bigger than that to what it is today where it's like so world so, where it's loved so much mm -hmm. and just the number of conventions that come from this um i really don't think that any other fandom has this kind of like fan base yeah and when we um when we selected beta readers for the book we made sure that we selected a few people who had virtually no knowledge of Doctor Who at all, because we wanted that perspective as well. We wanted them to say, okay, you mentioned this, but I don't know what this is. For example, uh, I think somebody said, uh, you mentioned Bessie. I have no idea what Bessie is. So, you know, things like that. And I was very, um, very conscious of explaining everything without ever assuming that the audience, the, the reading audience would know what something was. So everything, everything is explained or defined in some way, or at least I hope so that we, we've tried very hard for that to be true. Oh, and that's, I, I think that's can give the book also a lot of long longevity and it's almost like a history book, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. obviously it's in the title, but like, I mean, this is something that, you know, in 20, 30 years where some of this stuff will be forgotten by many people, you know, it's, you can go back to it and say, Hey, yeah, this is, you know, this is where it started and there's not going to be these obscure things that are unexplained that you have to do more research for because you're basically giving it to them right then and there. Yeah. There's a couple of things come to mind from what you just said. First is we'd, we've gotten this book onto some library shelves. We'd really like to see more libraries pick it up because we do think it's, it's an important um, uh, nonfiction resource and a research uh, uh, tool um, almost like an almanac of, of a, a particular slice of the population, but also, um, that, uh, yeah, I, I've completely forgotten the second one. <laughs> I should have written it down as we talked. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, it's okay. <laughs> um, no, uh, but yeah, I just think it's like something that, you know, even in like a classroom, this is something somebody can study. Like, how is it that things, you know, go on to become so big, you know, from how did this, you know, tiny little British show last 55 plus years? Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of fandoms that have lasted that long. Star Trek, you know, comes close, but, you know, there's no real like, yeah. there's not a lot of, um, you know, in TV, it hasn't been around that long. So this is a good, this is a good tracking. This is a good research book, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in truth, that's, that's also one of the things that makes Doctor Who unique that, that question gets asked a lot of fans. What do you think makes Doctor Who unique? Well, the fact that it's lasted for so long is really very unique. <laughs> Extremely. Yeah. And then uh, what is it that inspired you to start writing this? Because it's 700 plus pages. Yeah. Um, At what point did you decide (laughs) I have so much information that I need to document this? Sure. That's I'm glad you asked because that reminded me of the the second thing that I forgot a moment ago. I'm a very forgetful person, so you have to forgive me with that. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, it had to do um, with uh, how you said that – you'll be able to read this years from now and, and the stories are there and they may not have been captured otherwise. And that is exactly one of the biggest reasons we wanted to write this book because there are so many uh, oral histories that have never been written down. So many just memories just existing in people's heads that have never been related. And uh, we, it's an aging fandom. You know, we know it's a very young fandom because we've got a lot of young fans and that's absolutely wonderful, but it's also an aging fandom because it's existed for so long. So unfortunately we are losing some of the people who were big in fandom in the early days. And I'm talking about the USA specifically, but that's true of, of the UK too. I'm sure. Um, And these people, the ones who were especially involved at the start of fandom have so many stories and we would, we would attend conventions and hear some of these stories and somebody's got to write a book about this. We would say that to each other constantly. Somebody really needs to do a book. And then finally we, we just sort of one day realized we should do that book ourselves because we keep saying somebody needs to, we better just, you know, take the reins and, and make it happen. And that's, that's how it happened. And you're absolutely like, it's, it's young, but it is aging. And there are so many things that as I was going through the book that I would have had no idea, but it makes me connect a little bit more mm-hmm. with Dr. Who to see like the process of like basically keeping Dr. Who alive. Cause it could have been very easy for it to have fallen to the wayside. It's not something that was airing like on our shores. We had to wait for it, you know? Right. And so it could have been something that like never came back. Even if, you know, if it wasn't for those fans who had been fans for so long, we might not even have seen the reboot on our shores. That's true. That's true. It was, it was lucky. We were fortunate that, um, American fandom didn't vanish uh, during what 
a lot of fandom calls the wilderness years. Our book calls uh, the theme park years, thanks to Paul Cornell, uh, his his choice of phrase, and we embrace it uh, because there was so much going on during those so-called wilderness years, just not on television. Um, so yeah, I, the fandom kept kept the show alive, and um, America possibly even more so than the UK and it's arguable, but there's a, there's a very detailed explanation behind it in the book. (laughs) And then um, how much research did this take Uh, and how long did this book take to come together? Well, we started, uh, we started in 2009, Uh, 2009 is roughly when we said, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's make it happen. Um, and I started diving into the first few chapters almost immediately and just started researching on my own. And, uh, um, the, uh, the authorship changed slightly over the years. And there's an explanation in the, in the forward, uh, in the introduction to the book on that. Um, but, uh, for the most part, much of the writing of the book happened in the last year, year and a half. And for all the years that were <laughs> in there in between the seven or eight years there, that was almost purely research, research wow. and interviewing and trying to find people and, um, you know, connecting to people. We would, we would read an, uh, an article or an interview that was published in, 1979 and it would name three, three different people. And we'd try to find those three different people. And uh, if we could try to, you know, try to contact them and, uh, and talk to them. So we, um, we interviewed over a hundred people and we probably tried contacting in some way, um, twice that many over the time period. Um, it's just not as easy as you'd want it to be. Um, it doesn't sound easy <laughs> the way you're explaining. That sounds like a lot of work and a lot of time, especially when you're working full time jobs. Like that's amazing yeah, yeah. that you were able to pull all this together. And you also mentioned in the introduction that there was no way one person could have written this book. Absolutely true. Um, so uh, even though my name is the the largest on the cover, it was that's more. Um, more or less because I was sort of the project manager for the whole thing. Um, and uh, my co-authors, Jennifer Adams, Kelly, Nicholas Seidler, Robert Warnock, Janine Fennick, and John LaValle. Um, Janine is in New York um, and the rest are in, um, in the Midwest and mostly in the Chicago area. Nick is up in Milwaukee. So we would occasionally have writing sessions where we would actually get together uh, without Jan, because again, she's in New York. Um, but right. sometimes we would get her in, uh, through a computer link. Um, and then we would have weekly meetings. We would have uh, a meeting every Wednesday night to go over, uh, status and, and to, uh, you know, go over assignments because we would, some people would say, okay, I want to write about this. I want to write about this. And then there were a number of topics that nobody had selected so somebody would eventually have to write about those right so it was was a very big thing to to sort of pull together and yeah i just imagine that the organization that it took to like keep 
all of that information together, um, it, it, it seems like a lot of work and a huge team effort. And you guys pull it off brilliantly. <laughs> Thank you. The book is really enjoyable to read. Thank you. Um, are there any special organizations that you work closely to make this happen? I know you said you interviewed um, over 100 people. Is there any, like, um, I guess, Doctor Who or um, people that you were able to work with? Uh, to be honest, not really. Um, as far as organizations or groups are concerned, we uh, we would try to contact individuals directly. And um, because most of us have, have our fingers into fandom fairly deeply, and for for a long period of time, uh, we had a lot of those contacts already. It was the it was really the people that um, that were maybe higher up in uh, the production side. And I guess when I say production side, I really kind of mean not not the production side of the show entirely, but also anything to do with official Doctor Who things. For example, the the bus tour. Uh, from the eighties was a um, BBC worldwide uh, thing and uh, trying to find somebody who either still works for the BBC or used to work for the BBC and doesn't any longer um, because, because they're uh, sometimes um, I guess I don't really know the right way to put it. Um, more important <laughs> people, important people are hard to get a hold of. Let's just, let's just end it there. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. that. That makes a lot of sense. Awesome. So then um, in one of the sections of the book, um, it talks about finding your tribe and the Doctor Who community and conventions. Mm -hmm. And uh, it feels to me like it was these fan communities who really did a huge part of keeping the love of Doctor Who alive in the States. What's your take on that? Yeah, I totally agree with that. that that's kind of the stance that we take in the book. And uh, if, if we look again at the theme park years, which uh, very loosely TV movie in, uh, is sort of in the middle there, but you know, 1990 through 2003, um, some people won't start them those years until 96 after the TV movie, but I, I still, I consider it coming sort of smack dab in the middle of things. Um, yeah, I think that even though there was so much, um, in production at the time, all coming from the UK. It was all, all the novels and the audios were starting up. All of that stuff was new to Dr. Who fan. We just didn't have a TV show and that was great. But if the fans didn't stick around to consume those products, then those products would have failed. And I'm, Absolutely, yeah, yeah, I'm not about to say that, fandom in the UK um, was dwindling to non-existence because they were there, but the attitude towards Dr. Who and Dr. Who fans in the UK was very different than the attitude towards the same in the U S it was 
looked down <laughs> upon to be a Doctor Who fan. It was embarrassing to be a Doctor Who fan in the UK. This isn't just, you know, speculation. This is this is what the UK fans tell us from the time. Um, no, and um, I just watched the Graham Norton show recently, and I saw a YouTube clip. Um, I'm sorry, not Graham Norton. It was uh, James Corden, and he has Matt Smith on. Mm-hmm. And they actually kind of joke about the enthusiasm of Whovians. Mm-hmm. And just how not British it is and how here in the States we just go all out and they joke about they're like, we could not do that in the UK. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like almost like they have to kind of hide their crazy or hide their enthusiasm. Right. Yes. That is that's probably the most common answer that we would get when when we would ask um, somebody from the UK uh, most often one of the Doctor Who performers, when we would say, what do you think is the difference between American fans and UK fans? A typical answer would be the American fans are so much more open and so much more um, outgoing. Uh, the British fans are very reserved. So, yeah, that's that's exactly uh, uh, what it is. And I think that, um, you know, that kind of, gives us the upper hand when it comes to conventions because I know there are Doctor Who events and conventions all over the world, but one of the bigger ones that we have around here is, you know, Gallifrey One. It's one of the ones that's been around the longest Mm -hmm. and it just has, you know, some of the best turnouts as far as like guests and, you know, it's almost intertwined with, you know, Doctor Who in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, if, it had been anywhere else. It might not have been successful. And now we're celebrating 30 years of that. Yeah. And it's very exciting for us. Gallifrey one, um, Sean Lyon who runs the convention is, was, um, instrumental in being the person to bring, um, a lot of the, the author guests over from the UK when there was no television show, when it was just books coming out, and when the audios were, were not nearly at the level that they're at now, uh, his main roster of guests eventually for a while were the book authors. And that worked very much in favor of what we said earlier, which was that American fandom sort of kept things alive um, because we we were able to sort of build up this, I don't want to say the uh, cult, but... Um, we really appreciated these, these authors coming over and they loved coming over. So it was a bit of a mutual love fest going on, but it was important because um, it got everybody really into what was still coming out Uh, two new books every month. um, And um, maintaining that interest and uh, just like, Oh, what does, what does Keith, Keith Topping have coming out next. Um, you know, what is, what is Kate Orman working on now? Um, we didn't have the TV show, so we needed to cling to something and we embraced it because we have that enthusiasm. And I'm not quite, I'm not so sure, so convinced that the UK embraced it the same way that we did. And I think that's maybe manifest in the fact that the UK authors and guests did want to come over and see the American fans so much. Yeah, and it's funny because I think uh, Gary Russell, who's also a Doctor Who author, mm-hmm. um, he mentions in your forward something like that as well. Is that you know, you know, 
they they were excited to be here. We were allowed to kind of just, you know, have all this fun and costumes and getting into mm-hmm. it. But they brought with them the enjoyability of being able to drink and like <laughs> right, go right. and just <laughs> <laughs> and and that's a lot of fun because I feel like that's you know two worlds colliding and you know coming together you know over this this wonderful fandom and this wonderful TV show and and that's really exciting because Doctor Who is definitely something that brings people together. Yeah, yep. As different as we are. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, um, and then earlier this year at the Doctor Who convention in Yellow Fray 1, you and I were both on a panel discussing Doctor Who Online. So this is a little bit away from the book, but um, we talked about the different platforms that the Doctor Doctor Who community has had, Mm -hmm. which you've talked um, in your book as well about that. Um, And you had some really great insight on the Doctor Who panel about, you know, how the Doctor Who online communities got started. And I kind of want to talk a little bit about that, um, how the community has evolved over the years. What are the biggest differences you've seen um, in the online communities between when you started and now? Well, uh, technology itself has made the biggest difference. and to be perfectly honest, I, I think we're in a bit of a decline right now with um, as, as much as a, a community feel that Dr. Ha- Dr. Who has now, when we view an episode, we rush off to social media and we share our thoughts with other Dr. Who fans and they share their thoughts with us. I think that it's the fact that these are, platforms that we're using now that aren't really working in our favor the way that the platforms that we used to use sort of did. So when online fandom started out, um, pretty much bulletin board systems where you would dial in on your computer and connect for a while and uh, read messages and then uh, then hang up. Uh, and disconnect. Um, from those days, news groups um, becoming the first sort of transatlantic communication eventually, um, where you would post messages. And still, it was almost entirely text based because uh, technology, <laughs> short answer. Um, right. <laughs> but then we saw the rise of Doctor Who oriented mailing lists and Doctor Who oriented websites and um, discussion groups, forums, and yes, I run one, Gallifrey Base. Um, And we've gone from that because those are sort of in decline now. We've gone to Facebook and Twitter and things that are uh, generic and not designed. Obviously, they're designed for social interaction, but they're not designed with Doctor Who fans in mind, if, if you get my meaning. And Maybe it's not really that important to some people, but it's important to me. So that's why I put it that way. So I I feel like we've seen a sort of a rise and fall, um, even though the communication is still out there and the fans are still communicating with each other and making friends online. I feel like something has changed somehow. And that's the only sort of thing that I can nail down for sure (laughs) in my head. You make really good points. And one of the things that I think that social media has done for Doctor Who is bring a lot of exposure mm-hmm. to it. 
and like a bigger audience because like now you can see it online, things like, you know, binging it on Netflix when it was on Netflix, but it opens it up to like these new audiences and then people can go on things like Reddit or Tumblr or Instagram or whatever and look up hashtags and look up the things that they're interested in, but it doesn't necessarily build a community. You can make friends, you can like, you know, get to know each other. But, you know, it, it's not a place where you can gather, whether it's online or in person. Like, those things are not there. It's more of a place where you can express yourself, but it's not necessarily a community. It's a, it's a little bit like shouting at a brick wall and hoping that some people around you hear <laughs> an answer. Yeah. Yeah. And you might get lucky. You might be able to break down some walls, but you know, <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a little harder. Yeah. So yeah, I get it. And, and I can see how, um, you know, things have changed. I mean, it's great because Dr. Who is so much bigger and there's, you know, more people being exposed to it, but also, you know, you kind of miss the community yes. that, yes. you know, that once was. So I get it. <laughs> okay. Um, Last question, just for fun. Did you get to preview the, or did you get to watch a Jodie Whittaker's groundbreaking uh, debut as the 13th Doctor? I certainly did, yeah. Um, I <laughs> I got my times messed up, so I missed the first 10 minutes, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> oh, my heart. <laughs> my heart. Uh, it was very, it was crazy. Um, and, uh, and then the commercials drove me insane. Um, oh, but did you watch the simulcast? Is that yeah what the simulcast about? the afternoon? Hearing. Oh, that was so. So hard. I didn't really get a chance to watch it properly until uh, Monday night. Um, Monday night usually m- my local friends come over to my place and we'll watch the latest episode. So that was that was our opportunity nice. to do that. I enjoyed it. Um, certainly the first time around, I enjoyed it, but it was it was, I was watching it on my phone because I was not home. I was away and it, the circumstances were not very great, but finally getting to watch it, um, on a large TV in my own home. And I appreciated it much, much more. I'm so excited. I am so, so excited at what what's in store for us at this point, after seeing what the UK ratings were and, and knowing that, uh, things going forward uh, are just there's there's almost no way they could not be a massive success and and I'm just thrilled to pieces for it. Absolutely, and I've you know and I've been scouring the internet to you know see like both sides and what people think, but it's been overwhelmingly positive uh, feedback about the yep, episode. Absolutely has. And I say that even coming, you know, I run Gallifrey base and there's always people who are negative there. Um, but, and, and just people sort of think that they, uh, it's not fair to me, but you know, they say Gallifrey base, they associate it with negativity towards Dr. Who. And that's not it at all because, uh, overwhelmingly the, 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 the people on the forum have really enjoyed it, um, and are supporting it. And, uh, is there negativity? Of course, there's a little bit, there's always going to be some people and they're just vocal about it. So just ignore them. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I have found that my way to combat it because, um, 
I experienced um, something where um, BBC America's um, Instagram had uh, their Doctor Who Instagram had shared a photo of mm, okay. me. And I was dressed head to toe in like, you know, uh, I love Jody uh-huh, stuff, sure. basically. It was like a Jody t-shirt. I was wearing the 13th Doctor coat. I had my, you know, 13th Doctor mug. And I had my sonic screwdriver. And as I, w- I made the mistake of like reading the comments. Uh-huh. <laughs> and there was so much negativity. And there was so many kind of even inappropriate mm-hmm. things and kind of rude yeah. things that people were yeah. saying. And I thought, well, I don't want to engage with right. anybody right. here. I don't want to go back and forth. So the only thing that I could find to combat like those loud voices, like you said, it's a small percentage. There's not a lot of people, but they yeah. aren't loud. Is that anytime I see like a Doctor Who related post, I try to kind of put something positive. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I don't make things up. I really feel these positive mm-hmm. things yeah. about it. And just to kind of offset it, because hopefully the positive positivity could be just right. Yeah. I tell, I tell the forum at large that all the time, it's not that, you know, the number of posts in the, in the negativity thread compared to the number of the posts in the positivity thread, that the number of posts don't matter because the people who found something to dislike about it are going to post a lot (laughs) and the people who really loved it, they're probably just going to say, I loved it. And then move on, you know. Exactly. That's all you <laughs> right. have to say. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> they uh, the people who are negative have to justify yeah, their yes. negativity, and you know, which requires a lot more explanation, and you know, much more commu- like open communication and, debate. Right, and then trying to respond to the people who are you know saying, "Well, you missed this clear plot point, didn't you?" Or you know, something like this that negates their entire uh, argument against something or other right well i'm excited that you're excited about 13 doctor i am too i'm really excited about red white and who um before uh we close the podcast um can you let some of our listeners know where they can find a copy of red white and who oh, yeah or where they can um, reach you the book is uh, available through the publisher's website atbpublishing.com uh, you can also get it, um, get to their website by putting in red, white, and who.com, I believe. <laughs> Hope I'm not telling a fib there. Um, <laughs> well, hope. We're going to try it. Just Google it, guys. Uh, I'll add a link in the sure. article. <laughs> and, um, uh, you can visit Gallifrey base where, where we have a, a sort of a, a well, we had a forum set up, a separate subform set up for the book. Uh, now we're just a, a thread in the books section, the Doctor Who books section. But you can always post a message uh, there on the forum for me, or reach me through through the forum um, anytime. Awesome. Well, then this is going to wrap up this episode of the Temple of Geek podcast. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to hit us up on Facebook or Twitter by using the handle Temple of Geek. Do you want to check out some of our other episodes or shows? Why don't you head over to templeofgeek.com? There you will find all sorts of content that pertains to the world of geek. Thank you, Steve, so much for coming on the show. It was really great talking to you. And thank you to all the listeners who have uh, joined us today. My name is Monica, and we will see you next time. Please follow us on Twitter at 
Temple of Geek. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash templeofgeek. And remember to visit templeofgeek.com. Your one stop for all things geek. Goodbye. This will conclude our transmission.